First Corinthians chapter two. Let me ask you to open your Bible there. I want to call your attention this morning in the time uh, that we have left to verses six through sixteen. First Corinthians two verses six through sixteen. Paul is the human author, but he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that makes this God's word for us. Here's what it says. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, Paul uses a loose reference to Isaiah 64, verse 4, with some allusions to a couple other places in Isaiah's prophecy. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I grew up fishing. I developed a love uh, for fishing. I don't do it near as much uh, as I would like just because of time anymore. But uh, I love fishing as a boy and then even into adulthood. I remember in my second pastorate in South Mississippi being able to take my boys fishing. and uh, We predominantly did uh, uh, bass fishing and fishing for catfish, nothing really fancy, but I really never done uh, much fly fishing until I moved to Colorado from New Orleans uh, to pastor a church there. Um, and uh, I had some friends that introduced me to fly fishing. It just quite takes a, a lot of skill that I didn't have, but I thoroughly enjoyed going up into the mountains in Colorado and uh, uh, going into a stream, literally wading into the stream and, and learning to fly fish. On one particular occasion, um, I got to go with a guide, which is a whole new experience, uh, you know, in addition to trying to learn the skill. And I never will forget uh, that that time uh, being there with uh, a professional guide. Uh, there were uh, two or three of us that uh, went, you know, as part of a group. And we got up in the mountains and uh, we found a stream uh, that the guide pointed us to. And we 
we went uh, into the stream, had waders on, and we were going to fish for trout. And I can remember uh, being there for quite some time, you know, uh, casting my uh, uh, my line, my fly, laying it on top of the water, and uh, really not getting any response. The fish weren't cooperating, uh, you know, for for me. After a while, um, the, the guide kind of came over my way. He was out there kind of wading in the water with us, and he came over toward me, and uh, he said, he said, throw your line right over there, pointed to a particular place. I looked over there, and it didn't look any different than the place I'd been throwing my line, but he was the guide. We had paid him a lot of money to do this, and so I, I, I threw my, my fly right over there on the top of the water and you know, just jerked it a little bit, and immediately... Big old trout grabbed a hold of that thing, and I, I caught a fish and pulled it in, got it off the line, and then the guide said, throw it right over there. And so I threw my line over there and immediately caught another fish. And I realized the obvious, and that is that this guy not only knew a lot of stuff that I didn't know, he could see stuff that I couldn't see. I mean, when he pointed to all of those areas where he said the line, they didn't look any different than where I had been, you know, been, been casting my line. But he was able to see something. He was able to see a trout swimming around, you know, in that little area over there. And I couldn't see it. He had an ability to be able to see something that I couldn't see. Brothers, we as believers in Jesus Christ have been given the ability and the means to see something. The wisdom of God that everybody else can't see. And I think that's the spiritual reality that the Apostle Paul is talking about in these verses right here. He is saying to us what I want to say to you today and encourage you with. And that is only believers in Jesus Christ can recognize and understand the wisdom of God in the gospel for one reason, because he has given us the Holy Spirit. That's the ability we have. That is is the faculty we have to be able to see what the world doesn't see. Believers in Christ only Believers in Christ can recognize and understand the wisdom of God in the gospel because God, in His good grace, has given us His Holy Spirit. So let me show you just three characteristics, I think, of the wisdom of God related to this precious gift that God has given to us. Here's the first one, and that is that the wisdom of God is rooted in the spiritual realm. It's rooted in the spiritual realm. We've talked about the wisdom of God. We've studied texts about the wisdom of God. You know, we've, we, 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 we understand that synonymously in these passages, Paul's referring to the gospel and the power of God in that gospel. Uh, but but, but the, Paul tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here that, that this wisdom of God is by its very nature, it is rooted in the spiritual, not the physical, not the temporal uh, realm. 
Now, let me show you where that plays out in this passage. I think it plays out, first of all, because Paul is showing us that the wisdom of God is eternal. It is not limited to this temporal life. One of the ways we interpret the Bible is we look for repetition. It doesn't show up in every passage that we might study or we might even preach, but sometimes it does. And and normally that repetition will help call our attention to what the biblical author is trying to say. I think that is true at this particular point. Did you notice in this passage how many times there is a reference to this age? Notice there in verse 6, he says, although it is not the wisdom of this age that we have, that we preach, so there it is, this age, uh, or of the rulers of this age, certainly talking about uh, those who would be the champions for the wisdom of the world, the teachers of the wisdom of the world. I think in, in the historical context, it would refer to the leaders of the Roman Empire and the leaders of Judaism. Uh, individuals that were, that were, that thought the message of the cross was foolishness. They were championing for something else. A different way of thinking. Different uh, way of, 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 uh, 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 viewing the eternal. And, and so the apostle Paul, he kind of put this in context and he begins, you know, to talk about the fact that this wisdom we're talking about is not, it's not limited to this world. It's not rooted in this world, and therefore, it's certainly not characteristic of the teachers of this world, the rulers of this world. You'll see this again uh, a little bit farther down in verse 7. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages. Okay, so there is a reference uh, to it again. So he's going back now in eternity past. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, he says. So, so you see, he's putting, this, he's putting this on the calendar. He's putting it on the timeline with regard to eternity. And he's saying this started before this age. It's not understood in this age. It's not limited to this age. And he's actually going to go ahead and, and, and going to, and I'll show you this in just a second, and talk about how it extends into the future. But we, we have to understand that this wisdom of God in the gospel is timeless. It's rooted in the spiritual realm because it's not tied to an age. It's not tied to the age in which we live. And the wisdom of the world is... It is tied to the temporal. It's tied to the physical. It's tied to that span of time on the eternity timeline that is where we live in these human bodies. It's, it's something that is, 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 is finite. It's finite because it's limited to this age when the wisdom of God is not started in eternity past. It's going to continue into eternity in the future. And that means, listen, our consideration of it, even in this age, must be a consideration that recognizes its eternal nature. It's timeless, so it's eternal. Second characteristic is it's enigmatic. It's an an enigma. Notice in verse 7, he says, we impart a, a secret and hidden Wisdom. That's the, that's the wisdom that we have. I know that you know the idea of the mystery of God in Scripture in the New Testament is referring to something that was hidden in the Old Testament but now has been revealed in the New Testament. 
Not only does Paul say this, this, this wisdom of God is timeless, it's not limited to this age, it started before it, it'll continue after it, but he said it really by its very nature has been something that has been a secret. It has been, it's been hidden, and now it's been uncovered. So, so when you think about something that is a secret, you're, you're not, you're not talking about something that's tangible. You're not talking about something that you can see with the naked eye. You're talking about something in the, in the unseen realm, in the spiritual realm. And so he categorizes this wisdom of God as somewhat of an enigma. Let me show you a third characteristic that lashes this wisdom of God to the spiritual realm, and that is it's an effectual wisdom. It affects things. It affects in particularly people. Did you notice in verse 7 that he says this wisdom of God was something that God decreed before the ages, notice this, for our glory. Now, I know you know your uh, soteriology well enough. We don't have to lean into this too much, but you know that that positionally we are we are glorified in Christ Jesus. In, in in encountering Christ, positionally we have been glorified. But this is part of that our soteriology that fits into that already and not yet uh, you know thing. We know that that glorification hasn't been fully realized yet, right? This city uh, that we, you know, we the cities we have here is not the city we're going to end up in. This world is not our home. Uh, that finite, limited time of this age is only a blip on the radar with regard to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus that after this life is over, we get to continue living with Him in eternal fellowship forever and ever and ever. This is the hope that we have in Him. And that that hope is manifested in our ultimate glorification. Now, all of these things are tied together, the eternal nature of it, the, the, the enigma of it, but, but also this is tied together with this reality that the wisdom of God, this eternal wisdom of God, this wisdom of God that was hidden at one point, but now in the gospel has been revealed, this wisdom of God is that which actually is the key to us ultimately reaching this, this fullness of the glory of God in Christ Jesus, in transforming us, recreating us into the image we were created for. We're on a journey toward that now, this journey of sanctification. We are being day by day, Paul says, transformed into His image created. But we know that it's not going to be seen or experienced in its fullness until that day comes the day john you know says that you know brothers right now we're children of god right now we are the children of god but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be because when we, he is revealed we shall be like him because we will see him as he is don't you look forward to that aren't you excited about the effect of the wisdom of god 
And the Apostle Paul then turns around and says, you know, if, if the rulers of this age had been able to get this, they wouldn't have put Jesus on the cross. Now, be sure somebody would have put Jesus on the cross. But essentially, he's saying anybody that gets this, that understands that this wisdom of God is timeless. It started in eternity past and it's going to go into eternity future. And they understand that for a season this was hidden, but now in the gospel, in the cross event, it has been revealed. It has been uncovered. And anybody that understands that all of this is the contributing the factor, the factor for what God designed in His wisdom in eternity past, and that is that one day, one day it would make us fully glorified in Christ Jesus. Anybody, he says, that gets that would have never been part of putting Jesus on the cross. Why? Look, the end of verse 8, because he's the Lord of glory. He is the key to our glorification. He's the Lord of glory, the Lord over glory, and that means he is the, the Lord of our glorification. And Paul says, nobody that got that would have ever had a hand in putting Jesus on the cross. That quotation from Isaiah 64, loose reference, if you will, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined. Just stop right there and make sure you understand who he's talking about. He's talking about the rulers of this age. He's talking about the teachers of the world's wisdom. He's talking about the, 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 the systematic, uh, quote-unquote, theologies of the day, the false theologies, and those who champion them. And again, in that day, it would have been the Jewish religious leaders, it would have been the leaders of the, the, the Roman Republic, it would have been the sophists, it would have been the philosophers of the day. All of those would have fit into this category, and today... You just fill in the blanks with regard to those who champion for the wisdom that is limited to this world. And by the way, it's not limited to kings and politicians. It's not limited to false teachers. It comes from Hollywood. It comes from the commercial world. It it comes in terms of the American dream. It's all over the place. And Paul says nobody that really gets the eternal nature of this would reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Their eyes haven't seen, their ears heard, nor have their hearts been able to imagine what God has prepared for those who loved Him. Translation, our glory. Us being glorified in Christ Jesus. So, the wisdom of God is rooted in the spiritual realm. Secondly, the wisdom of God is revealed through the Holy Spirit. It's a very simple thing that he tells us, I think, beginning in verse 10 through verse 13, coming right off of that quotation. Paul says straight up, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And so he establishes at this point the, and there's so many words we could use to describe it, none of them are completely adequate, the agent, the medium, uh, the means, the way 
I kind of like the word intermediary, not in the sense of, you know, standing in between for reconciliation, but standing in between for communication, for conveyance. He is identifying the Holy Spirit as the intermediator, intermediary between us and this eternal wisdom of God. We could just camp here the rest of the time. We'll not do that, but we could and just ponder that reality for a few minutes that God has has taken this eternal what once was a an enigma a mystery this thing that is is actually the agent through Lord Jesus Christ of our glorification and he has now made it available to us through the Holy Spirit I want you to notice that not only is the Spirit our intermediary to this wisdom, but this revelation takes place at God's initiative. Did you see it? These things God has revealed. We've talked about this. Down at the end of verse 12, He will say the things freely given us by God. I think one of the keys to us um, maintaining a life lived uh, as the recipients of Christ, our wisdom is never forgetting this, never forgetting the grace of our Lord who has taken the initiative to make this available to us. He didn't have to do it, right? We, we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it in any way. God took the initiative to give this to us through His Spirit. Now let me, before we move on, let me just say a word about Paul's uh, reference at the beginning of verse 10 to these things. His intermediary is the Spirit. God has taken the initiative to give us the wisdom of God through this intermediary. But it, I, I do think it's really important, and we've made some stabs at this already in this time, to understand what we're talking about. What is it we're talking about when when Paul refers to these things. Well, there's a lot of generalities here. These things, obviously, in the immediate context, are the, the, these things that were, you know, related to our glorification, these things that were once hidden you know, in the Old Testament and now have been revealed in the New Testament, these things that are eternal. But this is one of the, the big questions that we're compelled to answer in a conversation like we're having in this conference, and that is, what exactly are we talking about? What are these things as they relate to the wisdom of God. Well, let me just go ahead and begin by saying we'll never be able to exhaust all of that. You know, we, we've put some ideas on the table and some manifestations of it, and, and sometimes that's the best we can do. But I, I, I want to strengthen that a little bit by, by saying to you, I do think Scripture gives us some help with regard to the kinds of things that we're talking about when we're talking about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of this world. Lots of places we could turn. Let me just call your attention to a familiar passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. I think there's a very close relationship between these things that God has revealed to us in the Spirit to the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus, uh, to what we have been given. Now, now listen to me very carefully, because I know an inheritance is something you don't have yet, 
But let me remind you that Ephesians chapter 1 says we have been given a deposit of that inheritance, right? We've been given a guarantee of it. And who is that guarantee? Who's that deposit? The Holy Spirit, right? And, and, And that's what Paul's talking about over here in Ephesians. I think it's what he was talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. Just think about as I read this familiar text, I'm going to read it quickly, try to do it without a whole lot of comment because, you know, just for the sake of time. But, but as you listen to the things that Paul identifies here that, that he as a Jewish believer, and I think that's where he's starting here in this passage of scripture ever received, but the things he's going to go on to say to the Gentile believers, you've been brought in on this too. You, you, you have been given this as well. I want you to think about the nature of these things, and I want you to think about how they're commonplace to, to us, how you and I are familiar with them, and we know they're part of our glorification. They're part of the inheritance that we have, what we've been given. But I just want you to think about the nature of them with regard to the world's misunderstanding or complete ignorance of. Look at it. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Try to get your arms around that. Remember the eternal nature of this wisdom? It, 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 it supersedes time and this age. We've been given something. In the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. You think that's the stuff the world could ever get its, uh, its arms around? Think about it in comparison to the philosophies of this day. I mean, that is, that is heavenly stuff. Adoption, being chosen, being predestined, having a destiny before time began. That's not stuff the world can get its eye, its arms around. It's not something it recognizes. It's not something that it can understand. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. You see why I take you to this passage from that one in 1 Corinthians? Making known to us the mystery of His will. Making known to us the mystery of His will. Not everybody, but to us, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, meaning of life, meaning of eternity, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, 
to the praise of His glory. Let me just encourage you, if you ever wrestle with, okay, what exactly are we talking about with this wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world? Think about Ephesians 1. It's not the only place, but it's a good place. It's a good place to think about the things you and I have become privy to because God has given us His Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul tells us here. Now notice this comes about because of the intimacy, I think, of the Spirit with God. Verses 11, 12, very simple concept. Not going to spend a lot of time here, but I think Paul just, you know, is essentially saying, look, you know this, you know yourself better than anybody else, right? I mean, you know, as, as much as we get to know our wives and our children, our best friend, we li- invite them into their world, there is an element in which only we know ourselves. We know the impurity of our motives sometimes, don't we? When other people don't know that, the wickedness of our own heart. We, we know the things that light us up that not everybody else recognizes all the time. We know ourselves. This is what Paul's talking about when he said, who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person in him? No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So what's Paul saying? Just do the math. You know that it's you, you know yourself better than anybody. Guess what? God knows himself better than anybody. You know yourself better than anybody else because of your spirit inside of you. God knows himself better than anybody. Now hold on. Hold on. I mean, just think about where we're going with this. What's Paul doing? This has been given to you, he says. It's been given to me. The Spirit of God. And just like your Spirit knows you better than anybody else, the Spirit of God knows Him better than anybody else, and that Spirit has been given to you and me. Isn't that cool? Isn't that exciting what he says? Verse 12, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand these things. (laughs) Ephesians 1, to hang our hats on, which are freely given us by God. And then before I leave that point and go on to the last one, make sure that you notice, make sure you notice that God has allowed us to be the instruments of helping other people make these connections. Look at verse 13. Paul says, And we impart these words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Now that's not a, a new reference. If you go back into the, you know, the, the, the previous point, he says in verse seven, but we impart, and then he's going to say it again, that we impart here. You come to this place right here. But notice in verse 13 that, that he's, he's, he's talking about now the communication of this message in the earthly realm to people that have this spirit. And Paul says, we, we get to be the connecting point. <laughs> Man, what a stewardship. <laughs> what a privilege. We, he's talking about, you know, him as an instrument of God. We impart these in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit of God. He's not saying it's because of your exposition that people know the wisdom of God. 
You just get to be the human instrument of the work of the Spirit who reveals to people this wisdom of God. Beloved, listen, if, if that doesn't compel you to stay by the stuff, if that doesn't compel you to just preach the Bible, if that doesn't compel you to stay as close to the, the words that the Holy Spirit gave us as, as you possibly can, then nothing will. But you, when you and I begin to understand the stewardship of being those in the human realm that impart this to others, we impart this wisdom because the Spirit has revealed it to us, and He, through that impartation, reveals it, makes it known to other people. We're instruments, privileged stewards instruments in his hand so this wisdom of god is rooted in the spiritual realm it is revealed through the spirit and then finally it is received by spiritual people verses 14 15 and 16 are basically just a contrast there are contrasts between the natural person mentioned in verse 14 and the uh, the spiritual person mentioned in verse 15. I don't know exactly how your English text may do it. Those are the words that are used in mind. So basically, in these three verses, Paul's making a very simple contrast. And, and, and there's kind of a progression here. Okay, God reveals this eternal stuff. He reveals it, you know, to us through His Spirit. But now, you know, He's really coming down in this, uh, you know, the 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 this realm right here to show us that really on the other end of those receiving talked about us being those that are instruments in his hand of imparting it you know i think as preachers and proclaimers of the gospel but now he's talking about the receptivity of it and he's basically saying he's drawing this contrast saying the spiritual person can receive it the the, the natural person can't notice what he says as he unpacks that in verse 14 Natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, doesn't accept the wisdom of God because they're foolishness. And we've already seen that, right, back in chapter 1? They're folly, they're foolishness. And he's not able to understand them. So Paul is drawing this contrast between the natural man and the spiritual man. And he says the, the secret to it, the key to it, is a characteristic. A characteristic of this wisdom of God and that is that it has to be spiritually discerned. If it's rooted in the spiritual realm and it's given through the Holy Spirit, the only way it can be received, only way it can be received is for it to be spiritually discerned at the end of verse 14. A spiritual person, he says, in my English text says judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Interestingly, in the language of the New Testament, the two words judge, judges and judged in verse 15 are the same word as the word discerned at the end of verse 14. So essentially it could be translated like this. Because they are spiritually discerned, the spiritual person discerns all things, but is himself to be discerned by no one. Or it, we might use the other word and say because they are spiritually judged, 
The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. The language of the New Testament, the word is a word that was used to really describe that initial, basically, interrogation, investigation before someone would go to court. You know, so like lawyers and detectives might interrogate somebody and look and gather information and and make some calls on that that they're now going to go into a courtroom with. Paul says... You know, this wisdom of God, it's, it's, it, it's spiritually investigated and explored. He's the only one that can do that. And so, the spiritual person is, is a one that can do that with all things. All things that are important. All things that are eternal. All things that are not limited to this world doesn't mean the spiritual person becomes a, an expert automatically when they get saved, like we said yesterday, of knowing how to operate a car engine or fix a car engine or do heart surgery. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about being able to, to explore and investigate and understand all the things that really matter, all the things of knowing God, all the things of eternity. And he turns right around and says, but... Uh, the, 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 the natural person can't do that and therefore will never be able to understand and explore the depths of the spiritual person. This is why they don't get us. You've seen the commercials about Jesus. Jesus gets us, all of us. There's some really good things out of that I think come out of that. There's some also some things that concern me a little bit, but that's neither here nor there. Jesus does get us. And we are able to get the wisdom of God. But the world will never be able to get us. It'll never be able to understand, recognize, comprehend the things of God. And then I think he finishes by pulling all of this together. How does this happen? He raises the question raised in Isaiah 40.13, Who has understood the mind of the Lord. And really, that's the the part that Paul's putting on the table because he's going to turn around and give the answer. We do. You know why? Because we have been given the mind of Christ. What a glorious, glorious reality. Big picture, two things I want you to think about, maybe two applications. One, make sure that your life in and your proclamation of the wisdom of God is a Trinitarian wisdom. You say, whoa, we hadn't brought that in before. Just think about this. God's wisdom communicated through the Holy Spirit giving us the mind of Christ. All three members of the Godhead are involved in the communication of the conveyance of His wisdom. Don't ever lose sight of that. And then secondly, and it wouldn't surprise you, brothers, don't ever stop being gripped by the reality that you have been made a steward of this treasure. This treasure we just walked through. You, as a preacher of the gospel, have have been made a steward 
of this wisdom of God communicated through His Holy Spirit. And every week, every week as pastors, we get to communicate it to spiritual people, people who have the Spirit and therefore have the capability, have the capability of understanding, have the capability of receiving I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it. It's sometimes like we're preaching to be bumps on a log sometimes, but, but, but sometimes we get to see the lights come on, don't we? We get to see people on the edge of their seat. We get to hear people who come and give testimony to us afterwards about how God opened their eyes to something that had been on the pages of the Bible forever. And maybe you've even preached on forever. We get to see the, the stirring in their heart. We get to see If we hang around long enough, the gradual transformation into the image of Christ, we get to see them look more like Jesus this year than they did this time last year. Brother, it's a toil. It's a toil week in, week out. Sermon to prepare, study the text, exegete it, interpret it rightly, put it in a form you can communicate it to other people, but don't ever stop being gripped by the otherworldly nature of that task. As hard as it is, and as routine as it seems like it becomes sometimes, don't ever forget it's rooted in the spiritual realm. And the Spirit is at work. He's made known to us the wisdom of God, and we get to be channels. We get to be instruments in His hand of the conveyance of this wisdom of God and its effectualness in the lives of other people. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless You. And we thank You for this uh, trust. We don't understand it. But Lord, I, I, I know I speak on behalf of these brothers. We echo the sentiments of Your Apostle Paul when he said, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord who's enabled me, counting me faithful putting me into the ministry. Thank you, Lord, for trusting us with this stewardship of your glorious wisdom that you have made known to us through your Spirit. In His name we pray. Amen.